What is up, everybody? Episode 58 of the Turn Left Podcast. Test, test. I won't know if it's working yet, because I'm solo. Like I said, welcome back everybody to the Turn Left Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Ayers. Um, I want to bring you all back for this equipment test real quick here. Um, we'll get into that in a little bit. We also have a Venmo now, Venmo Turn Left Podcast, all one word. Um, there's also a support button on the Apple Podcasts and Spotify and anywhere else you listen to your podcast. There's a support link if you want to support the show. <coughs> show. Sorry. I want to turn this down really quick to make sure my uh, music's working, or my no, my noise, my music, my sound. But I, I think everything should be good now. After the hang-up we had uh, last week with uh, David Callahan, I had to, you know, do a test real quick, make sure everything was good, and I got a lot to talk about anyway. So, anyway, um... Shout out to our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Sarah K Speed Shots, the best action shots in the business, and also the On Point Woodworks. I got a sweet sign I got coming. I posted a picture of it on the Turn Left Podcast page if you want to look at it. Um, but On Point Woodworks, he makes all kinds of wood artwork, all kinds of different stuff. And he makes duck calls too. Um, I'm trying to remember what the duck call name is, but either way. He makes duck calls, all kinds of artwork. It's it's pretty cool. So, shout out to them. Shout out to our sponsors. Couldn't do it without them. And um, I can't wait to hang it up once it gets here. I don't. I, that's another thing too. It's pretty big. So I don't even know where I'm going to put it. But I'm going to figure out somewhere. That's for sure. Loud in my ear. Um, the new setup. Um, it probably looks pretty much the same to y'all. It's similar setup, newer camera, um, but now it also has a, you know, the way that I got the camera and the harness now, not only does the new camera have enough output to power the audio interface and all that kind of stuff, but also it's got an HDMI port to where I can plug it into a TV and I can actually watch everything live, um, you know, while it's happening. So I'm excited about that. All right, it sounds like it's working. So I think we're good. If I can get this pulled down. But yeah, so stressful. I, I really hate nothing more than setup problems. And once we try to go live, issues start happening like last week. But um, it drives me insane. But with the new setup, like I said, it's going to actually end up being better. So I'm kind of excited about that. We have a lot... On you know the board tonight, we got some short track racing tips, techniques, whatever you want to call them. Um, we're also going to make an announcement who's coming on Saturday night. I'm excited for that one. Um, and I know that my solo episodes aren't always as big as others, um, and I'm fine with that. I'm not like offended by it. Um, but I feel like if I you know it's been like a month or so, and I, all I do is ask questions. I never actually get to talk about what I want to talk about or what's going on in recent news, stuff like that. So 
Um, every once in a while, I might break it down and just do a single episode. This one, obviously, is a lot to do with testing the equipment, but I've had a couple things on my list that I wanted to talk about, and I haven't been able to because I'm always interviewing, you know, whichever guest we have, which, you know, shout out to all the guests. I love them to death, but um, like I said, it just doesn't leave me, you know, an avenue to really, you know, get into some of the stuff that um, I put on my list throughout the week. And I could add these things in there, but I don't want to take away from their time, you know, especially a lot of the guys lately have been coming in from out of town. You know, I want to give them their full hour and not blab about, you know, whatever my opinions are, whatever on the racing world. So, anyway, solo episode again, like I said tonight. Um, and like I said, the new setup, now I'll have a TV to where I'll actually be able to watch live comments and everything. I've got them on my phone right now. So what's up, Andrew Fuller? But, um, what's up, Mike Rudy, Scott Burchett, David Barden, Eddie Kenny, what's up? Season opener coming up quick. When is that, Eddie Kenny? Um, now that I'm watching my phone and everything, I've got it all up and running. When's the season opener? Let me know. Um... What I was going to say was, um, yeah, nobody cares about the new setup. As long as it works, that's all we care about. So, The NASCAR stuff so far, um, Mike Rudy on the show would be good, yes, Alex. I'm down with that anytime. I've got a pretty booked schedule, um, actually, for this month and maybe even next month. But I can do weeknights and stuff, too. It's just, it's late. You know, I usually ask people to do 9.30 or 10. I can do any weeknight. I can do any Friday night and Saturday night. I can do a doubleheader. Doesn't bother me. Um, if anybody's down, just you know, send me a message. But um, obviously, McDowell won the Daytona 500, and then Christopher Bell won the Daytona Road Course race, first time. And I think what did it say since 1950 or 1959 that two first-time winners have won the first two races of the season in NASCAR. So exciting! If you're into that, I'm sure. I'd rather see Kyle Busch win the first two races of the season. That's just me. And he, he does need the Daytona 500 win. But that's the NASCAR news, I guess. I'm sure you all saw Connor Jones won back-to-back um, down at New Smyrna. I mean, he's just been doing work. And shout-out happy birthday to him. I think he just turned 15. So, I mean, he was literally 14 years old down at New Smyrna, you know, stomping these probably much older and much more experienced guys. Um, this kid's the real deal. Keep an eye on him. That's all I got to say. I mean, I wanted to make a comment um, on somebody's post, like, you know, not only when he won his first one, but when he won his second one, you know, back-to-back. It's like this is really the, you know, these points in time, whether him or his parents, and I'm sure they do, um, but whether or not they do, moves like that and, Times like this is what really makes an impact on somebody like his career. I mean, this this could be the turning point, in my opinion, um, for somebody like him because winning on a big stage like that at the age of 14 in a late model series, you know, a huge, huge uh, race, I can't even imagine, you know what I mean? I can't even imagine what um, was going through, he seemed to, you know, handle it pretty well. I mean, even in victory lane and stuff like that, he seemed cool, calm, and collected like he always does. But I don't know. I mean, those are two big races to win. Or, you know, just winning any of those races is huge. So after the first time, I was like, wow, this could really make him. And then he won back-to-back. It's like, wow, wow, I guess. Um, but anyway, so super proud of Connor Jones. Shout-out to Connor Jones. 
for his awesome performances, and I think he was doing well up until he got wrecked out of the third one or fourth one. They raced like ten times. I don't, you know, understand the whole platform, but he won a couple times at least. So, shout out to him. I'm sure y'all heard uh, Rally Music got kicked out because, and I don't want to. Hopefully, this doesn't. I'll, I'll try to keep it short. I don't want to go against their policies, or I don't know if I was halfway to blame for them getting in trouble in the first place. Not halfway, but, you know, I added fuel to the fire. But pretty much what happened was is uh, he was passing, this is Bandoleros, he was passing the leader for the race down at, I can't remember the track, it's not written down. He was passing for the lead, got past him, didn't look like anything wrong with it, going down the backstretch, literally gets dumped backwards into the wall, you know, blatantly gets dumped backwards into the wall and uh, obliterates his car and just tears everything to pieces. So, not only does that happen, does he get taken out blatantly by another driver, then the, the father of said driver comes over to their stall and starts yelling and cussing at young Riley, who, I don't even know how old he is, but he's young. Too young to be getting yelled at and cussed at by a grown man that when he was in the right to begin with. You know what I mean? Like, he never did anything wrong. He got wrecked. And now you're coming over here to talk. You know what I mean? Like, he's too young to be talking to like that from a grown man. It's one thing if the two kids want to talk it out or whatever, but um, to be talking like that when y'all are in the wrong in the first place really rubs me the wrong way. Then the fact that uh, they posted a video of the incident, didn't say a word, didn't say, oh, we're going to get him back next time. They didn't say a word. Obviously, comments flowed in. I shared the video. Comments, more comments flowed in. Um, and people were, you know, the dad that did that deserves to be punched in the throat. You know, heinous, heinous things were said. And I'm not proud of them, and I didn't say any of them, but I did share the video and allow my platform to gang up on it. The problem is, is here, long story short, they got disqualified and thrown out for pretty much the weekend because of they violated the INX rules of posting the video to social media. So, long story short, because social media is something that we can avoid nowadays. You know, if that video wouldn't have gone out, nobody would have ever known that what happened. It's like, what if one of the fans took the video and posted it? Is that allowed? Like, what are we doing here? All they did was post the video of what happened and let their fans and, the you know, the crowds that see put their, you know, input on it. And there wasn't really, really much input to have. I mean, he blatantly turned him into the wall and destroyed his car to pieces. And um, long story short here is that they went down there, were passing for the lead, got wrecked for no reason blatantly, turned into the outside wall, posted a video of it on social media, and that violates everything. The guy that did it, you, you can, okay, this, these are the rules. You can now go there, get passed for the lead, wreck the guy into the outside wall, blatantly total his car, have your father run down there and cuss him and his whole family out, and you get disqualified from the race and get to come back. They post a video of what actually happened, and they get disqualified for the weekend, and they get thrown out of the entire track. So, And, and then, of course, that kid got, came back to win the second race. And, of course, because, mostly, in my opinion, Riley wasn't there. But who knows? He, I mean, I'm sure that kid knows, too, and I'm sure his father knows. Part of the reason why they won that race is because they didn't beat 
who they should have, who wasn't really there. But that probably stings a little bit in that open wound, but all I'm saying is is you can come to a track, pass for the lead, get taken out blatantly, total your car, post a video about it, and, and you're you're pretty much banned for life. Or you can go take out somebody, have your acquaintances come out and cuss them out when you're in the wrong to begin with, and you get a little tap on the wrist. You get a little tap on the wrist, and it, it just infuriates me. So it's not good for the sport. The, you know, social media is not allowed, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, wrecking somebody into the outside wall blatantly, did anybody that, you know, disqualified them for the weekend watch the video? Because there's really nothing to, to, you know, talk about if you see the video and see what happened. Posting a video and hitting the post button on Facebook or YouTube or whatever is now worse than literally wrecking a kid and totaling all of the equipment that he's got for the weekend and potentially harming him. So, INEX is a joke. That's just my opinion. But it always kind of has been. I mean, and I don't know anything about it. But nobody loves watching the Bandolero races, and nobody loves watching the Legends races. And that's not – we used to. And the Bandoleros, you know, they've got rules like, oh, uh, the spotters can't talk to them, but the track – and that's maybe just Southside Speedway, but track officials can talk to them, but not their actual spotters. So horrible rule. You know, if anything, do that to the classes above. Don't let them have spotters and let them just have race directors. Not the little kids. They need to literally hear, like, each one of them where they're going and stuff. And now you just have one race director or whatever directing all of them, telling them their ear, time to line back up. Like, that's not good enough. I'm a grown man, and I've been told a thousand times where I need to line back up because of where a race official has come and told my crew chief or spotter or whatever. It happens. You don't always know. So to expect these kids to know and they're not allowed to have spotters, I don't know. That None of that even matters. I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore, but... Bandos is just a bunch of angry dads. That's the truth, bro. Andy Newsom. Wow. Yeah, man. And I've seen that since it started. That's kind of the problem. Um, and that's kind of my beef a little bit with it. But this instance in itself really pissed me off because I saw the video, heard the story, and then heard the consequences for each one and uh, really made me want to just burn that track down. But, and the entire INEX, you know organization let the dang kids race yeah anyway so shout out to the music family hopefully they're recovering and like i said i guess shout out to the winner of that second race even though he wouldn't race it against the really fast people because he got him kicked out because he decided to wreck them um and then they got kicked out it's just such a weird dynamic like you got wrecked in total and you get kicked out um but yeah, let's get into it. We got some tips, techniques for Southside Speedway, and for I mean, I think that, um, and I'm comfortable with talking about it now because Southside Speedway is closed. But I think that it'll uh, it works well for pretty much any short track. Depends on which track it is, and so on and so forth. But um, I don't know. You you be the decider. And obviously, I've only raced street stock, grand stock, you know, mini stock, U car, whatever you want to call it. So uh, don't. Uh, if you're a late model guy, don't shred me, but I think it's pretty much true. I've got a picture of Southside Speedway that I can kind of break it down. I'll go uh, ESPN Network 
on you guys. This thing will load. Alright, so here's the track nonetheless. And this is actually, I don't know when this picture was taken, a lot of greenery, but we're actually staring at it from, that's the tech shed, um, from, you know, turn three and four. So this is the, you know, start finish line. There's Victory Lane right there. There's Genito Road. But anyway, um, as far as restarts, so, and the TV's blinking a lot. I don't know what's up with that. It's kind of annoying, huh? I can see it doing it in mine. I'm sure it's doing it in y'all's. I don't know how to fix that. If anybody's got any idea how to fix that, let me know. But you can kind of still still see what I'm saying. Um, and you, for the audio only listeners, um, go over to YouTube or Facebook and watch this. Even though, like I said, the video is a little bit jankety as far as what I'm going to be pointing to. But um, let's just go to restarts. If you're on a restart, and worst case scenario, you're starting on the outside, and whether it's front row or not, it's pretty much applicable. Um, say if you're starting on the outside, you're coming up to this, you know, front stretch. It starts back here when you are really over here. When they say go too wide, you start to pretty much decide where you're going to be restarting. Not decide, but you start to try to pressure. If you're on the outside, you want to pressure the guy down the track and start doing that right away and, and force him down the track. Um, and you're just under caution, so this could, you know, you don't want to start tire bumping or anything like that. But if he's willing to let you do it, you want to try to force him as far down the track as you can so that when you all come back to the start-finish line, if he, the farthest you can keep him down the track and keep you all both away from the wall, once the green flag flies, he, chances are he's going to go straight into turn one. You want to go back up towards the wall and literally you know, inch-pinch the wall as close as you possibly can. Um, if you're on the inside, obviously you want to do the opposite. You want to hold the outside car up the track as far as possible. Um, which I've done that too, and it gets into like people trying to bump your tires. They think you're pinching them so hard you're about to put them in the wall. And we're under caution laps we're talking about. So I'm literally like trying to keep them up against the wall so tight, you know, the cars are rubbing. It's ridiculous. But if you're on the outside, you want to try to, you know, if, if the leader is okay with it, which they shouldn't be, but a lot of guys are like, oh, I got the inside anyway. So, you know, I'm going to get you going into turn one. But if you hold them down the track as far as you can, and then as soon as the green flag flies, you chase back up the track and get the corner entry you need going into turn one. They're going to go into turn one way down here in the bottom groove. And so they're not going to have, for one, any speed. They probably won't even have to let off. But two, no momentum. And if you really go up the track, you can, like I said, get the corner entry you need. Um, as far as once you get into the race trim factor, or even on the first lap, it depends on who you're racing against, Everybody's heard of the high-low technique. We'll talk about that in a little bit. When you're on the outside, if at all possible, and at south side especially, you don't want to go high. You want to go way high. I'm talking like when you go into turn one or turn three, you want to be way out here up until like right here. Um, and w when you do that, you pretty much set yourself up for being able to come through the corner, and when you're on the outside of the car, you change the access point and instead of trying to, everybody wants to pinch people going into turn, you know, one or three. You know, pinch them on entry. Don't pinch them on entry, pinch them on arch. When you enter way high, way late, kind of like a high-low, but instead of a high-low, we're talking real high and then still high. So um, when you do a super high entry, you can actually pinch off, you, you literally drive straight towards our car, and once they get to you, they either have to make a decision. They either have to drive straight into your fender or 
door or rear quarter panel, front, front, it doesn't matter. They either have to drive straight into you to keep their corner, you know, exit on path, or they have to cut the wheel harder, let out the gas a little bit or whatever. So you literally cut out their exit, you know, arc by cutting the track that way. And like I said, they're either going to drive into you or they're going to let off, or, and they're usually going to let off or turn a little bit harder, and now you have going down the back stretch or the front stretch the bigger, you know, push momentum and, you know, the better opportunity to make the outside actually work. It's extremely hard to make the outside work, at, at, especially Southside Speedway, any short track really. So, like I said, I don't know if something like this will work at Dominion with such high banking, but um, it does it does help. If you beat me in the corner, I'll win off the center. Yeah, that, and that's part of it. Loved outside there, learned by watching Eddie. Eddie Johnson, thanks, Mike Reedy. Eddie Johnson is a, what's up, Patrick Fisher? One of the best Eddie Johnson is running the outside. I've seen him do these, uh, him and Bugs Harefield, actually. And I'm, I'm a Chris Dodson fan. I'm actually the biggest fan of Eddie Johnson. But Bugs Harefield is actually one of the best, along with Eddie Johnson, doing the weird high entry points and, rotating the car you know you change the access point of the corner and you can either manipulate the car on the inside or just make a better lap time from the outside um, and they're masters at that and i don't know how they do that especially in a late model i'm i've only done it in you know mostly u-car mini stock a little bit of all this started when i was in street stock grand stock and it i was doing it all then and um if you can do it right it applies pretty well so, I agree, Mike Rudy. Yeah, he's a, a beast at the outside. Chapman, you've got a shout-out later. We're going to talk a little bit about crossover stuff. Um, these things work at other tracks on a larger scale. I think you're right, but once you get to, like, if you're talking about real, like, NASCAR stuff, like super speedways, none of this stuff, it's all thrown out the window. But even, you know, short tracks on higher circuits, definitely. Um, also on restarts, this one, um, say if you're leading the race, this is a Landon Abbott shout out. If you're leading the race, you want to, as you're pulling up to the, you know, cone, green flag, whatever you have at your track, there's a couple things you want to do. You want to go as slow as possible, depending on what gear and what transmission you have, but you also want to wait until you see the outside guy. Well, you get right up to the last point, and then you see him literally hammer the gas, and you still wait. And once he hammers the gas, he's going to realize that he's about to jump the gun. And once he realizes that, he's going to have to let off. And as soon as he lets off, that's when you drop the hammer. And by doing that, and it's been done to me, that's how I know. And I've tried to do it to a few people, but I'm not quite as good as how it got done to me. Um, when you do that, and you can kind of do it to the cars behind you, too. I'll get into that. But if the car on the outside of you is is trying to play the, I want to start at the same time as you, or right, or maybe even ahead of you, but I'll, I'll let out a little bit, or I'll kind of ride the gas to let you beat me to the line, which on restarts, it doesn't matter. But if they want to do that, like I said, you wait till they hit the gas, and then they have to let off because they're about to, you know, pretty much jump the gun, and then you that's when you crack it. As far as if, if the car is behind you, um, say if you're in the lead and or even on the outside pole, the car behind you, you go as slow as you possibly can and you hold the pack up. And as soon as you feel the car behind you touch your back bumper, because as soon as they do, they're going to kind of shoot you forward a tiny bit 
and they're going to kind of back themselves off a little bit, that's when you crack it. And the gap that you create, you know, just from that little bump and then you hit it and they're not ready for it yet, it, I mean, it could be a car length or two. It could be incredible, especially depending on, like I said, gear. There's a lot of different factors in that. But um, as far as I know, that's pretty much the best. If you're on the pole or in the lead and you're coming back to a restart, you know, and you're really worried about holding the lead, um, either wait for the guy behind you to bump. It depends on who you're most worried about, you know, I mean, who the competition is. If it's both of them, you got your own, you know, set of problems. You can decide what you want. But, um, you know, if the car behind you is what you're worried about, as soon as you feel him touch your back bumper, that's when you crack it because you know he's going to, you know, either let off or, I mean, he's going to have to. He's not going to push through you, through the leader to start the race. So, um, and on the outside, like I said, as soon as they take off, you wait. And as soon as they hit the brake or let off, that's when you go. And by the time that they catch back to it, that's another, you know, you can gap them by a car length or so usually too. Um, we talked about pinching the arch instead of the entry. Um, back when we had single file restarts, you lift and wait till they touch your bumper, hammer down and stack them up. Yep, exactly. Pretty much the same concept, but still, um, applies for double file. It's just, like I said, if you're on the outside, you kind of want to do that too, but you're really, you know, held to what the inside guy's doing. Oh, I'm thirsty. I didn't drink anything. Uh, we'll get into the crossover thing really quick because I'm thinking about Michael Chapman. I kind of knew this, but Chapman explained it best. And this really happens the most in our division, I feel like, and, you know, U-Car stock, But it can happen in all of them. I mean, I was doing it in street stock a little bit. It's just the cars are a little bit harder to move around. But the crossover move is obviously a common and very, uh, very much used move. You know, obviously when you're passing a guy on the inside and you're, you've got a door on him, he's going to check up early cut down the track or maybe even you know hold up and then do the high low kind of like what i was talking about earlier everybody knows kind of high low you go in high you come out low to try to pass the guy on the inside if you're stuck on the outside and you're already getting beat you let off a little sooner change the corner and you try to you know either hit the rumble strips or try to have the better archway coming out of the corner to be able to get underneath the guy and pass him on the under you know on the inside chapman's best way of explaining is well if there's a guy on the outside of you Regardless of if you have beat them, you know, if you're not door to door, that's fine. You can be door to quarter panel, whatever. But as soon as you hear them let off, if you can, or if, as soon as you see them in the mirror let off, you let off too. And y'all both go slow into the corner. Who cares? But he's not going to be able to cross it up unless he comes down to like zero miles per hour. So, um, I don't know. It, it, it's kind of just one of those things where. You have to hope that you can hear it, but you let off, like I said, in time to where they can't cross you over. Um, that's kind of Michael Chapman's move. I've been crossed over a couple times, um, and it always sucks because you're like, you work so hard to pass the guy, and before you've even technically passed him, now you're getting passed back by him. It's like the most frustrating thing ever. But anyway, and it happens as part of racing, and sometimes you try to do that, and it still somehow happens, and it's just part of it. What's up again, Patrick Fisher? Leave us a comment. Let us know what you're thinking. Patrick, if you want to call in tonight, 804-887-0754. Give me a little time, though. I'm not ready for you yet. I meant to leave the number in the description, but that's okay. Um, 
couple other things. I might have to log off here. I might not be able to read y'all's comments, but I got a couple other things too that are important in my opinion. I already talked about it. corner corner entry is everything. You know, if you're not um, entering the corner in the right place or not even using the whole track, you know, if you're if you've got a whole half of a lane or a lane outside of you when you're going in the corner and you're riding around by yourself, you're not um, doing it right. Just in general, I think that's pretty simple. But um, where you enter the corner is everything, especially in a lower-powered car because um, you don't have the horsepower to get you back off the corner, so you really have to keep up the momentum. Um, again, Chapman said one time uh, something about he thought he was, or I was trying to catch him. I don't know. He's like, I don't know. No, somebody was trying to catch him, and he said, well, I was five miles an hour faster going into the corner than he was. And not their lap times are that much different, but, you know, if you can't get to the guy going into the corner, it sometimes can make it pretty tough. Um, so if you're really driving it in, and you can make the car stick, and even you don't have to drive it off as hard. Sometimes that's a, you know, if you're in the lead, that's a defensive way to win the race because um, last thing you want to do is drive it in soft and let somebody get to you. But that's common sense. Nobody needs to hear all that. Um, crossover elimination, we already talked about. Last lap defense and offense. I kind of went over that a little bit, but just now. Let's just say you're going up on the last lap. And I've done both of these. And one of them did not work out well. The other one worked out fine. If you're going to the last lap and there's somebody trailing you hard, um, you suspect that they would do anything to win, you, you can take two approaches. You can let off early. That way when they hit you, it doesn't, knock you so far up, you know, it's more of a manageable, you're going slower, so, um, or you can drive in so deep, um, that you, you entirely ruin your exit coming out of the corner, but you totally take away the possibility for them to ever reach you. Um, you kind of have to know who you're driving against. This is like, uh, I think like Dylan Devaney at South and Speedway, technically my first ever time to victory lane in a U car. I suspected that he would drive in super deep going in the last couple laps, or at least the last two turns of the last one lap. Um, and when you kind of, that's another thing too about watching film and knowing your other drivers, which is extremely important. Mike and O taught me that. Knowing your other drivers, if you suspect that he will drive in deep and not just drive consistently to try to pick you off, if you know he'll drive in deep, you drive in deep so he cannot reach you. Um, and it's just kind of as simple as that. But I tried it another time where, I tried to go in soft thinking somebody would hit me, and they did. By the time they hit me, I was going so slow, and he was going so fast. I mean, it obliterated me and just knocked me way up the track, and they won the race. And um, Not a good story ender for me. So it, it'll absolutely ruin your exit of the corner and your next lap if you were to have one. This is more like a last lap defense mechanism, but um, as long as you can get in there deep enough to where they can't touch you, like I said, by the time they drive in deep enough, hard enough to try and touch you, they're going to totally botch their exit of the, you know, turn anyway. So don't worry too much about messing up your exit. They're going to be trying to reach you so hard they're going to mess up their exit. You're both going to be driving in way too hot into the corner and not hot enough coming out, which is fine. As long as you win the race, stay in the lead. That's the point I'm getting at. Um, there's also um, one of these, like, and they apply this to a lot of things, like the first time it clicks. Um, the first time that you're doing something and it just all of a sudden it clicks in your head and you kind of know how to do it from then on. And 
it's not up until that point that you realize all the time before that you never really knew how to do it, as weird as that sounds. So, um, and you, sometimes you're not told that it's coming. Sometimes it just comes. I mean, like diving, diving into water. Like it's like one of those things you can't do it. You can't jump head first for me. Um, and then one day you do it and you're like, oh, and you, there's no problem after that. You can do it a hundred, you know, it's like once you've done it, you can do it every time. No problem. You're not scared of it. Nothing. It's just like part of it. Or they say that about like electrical work or like control wiring for electrical. Like it's really complicated and it's all the circuits and all that. But one day it'll click. And then once that day happens, you'll kind of just kind of get it from then on. They say that about a lot of things. Um, and I think driving is kind of, uh, race car driving anyway, is partly one of those things. Uh, I would say that my moment, I remember I was in street socks long ago. I think I was probably 19, 20 years old. Maybe not. I think I was maybe 17 or 18, but still. And um, I was driving my regular race. I think I was in second or third, and I got passed by Mike Gano. And I finally got to follow him during race trim, not just around in practice. He didn't practice much anyway, but... Um, we were going down the back stretch and I was like, he's so close to the wall, it's, it's scaring me, but I just tried to follow him. And then he went to the corner and he just snapped the car to the left and then I could literally see the whole car crank sideways and he was already turning it back right, like, just like in the movie Cars, like, you gotta turn right to go fast left or whatever it says. It was just like that. And I went in just as balls deep into the corner. That probably wasn't appropriate. I went in just as hard to the corner, turning left, and then, uh, like I said, all automatically, like the whole car's washing out, sliding out from under me, and I'm turning it back right. And I'm just trying to aim for wherever he's going, just trying to follow his path. And I slid the car into the corner, totally out of control, literally felt like I was going to wreck. Like, this is insane. Got it together, came out of the corner, and the next thing you know, I'm literally, like, still right behind him. And from that point forward, and I had somebody else behind him was now behind me putting the pressure on. And from literally that lap forward, um, it, it almost like clicked. Like it was like, oh, you have to be at this level. You really have to, you have to really drive the wheels off of these things. And and it's not just street stocks always. It could be any division, um, but there's different levels and once you see somebody right in front of you or firsthand or once you finally do it for once on their level and you realize you're just as fast as them you're like oh so this is why they've been better than me all this time and this is now what i have to work on now that i'm comfortable with this and i'm finally competitive now i have to perfect that and uh you know, do it for 50 laps straight or whatever it is. Um, so 100 turns straight. So the rest of that race literally um, was like, you know, literally the most, not stressful, but the, you know, I knew that every corner after that, what I had to do, I, had, I knew how hard I had to go in and how not reckless I had to be, but um, I was already reckless, but I had toned it back down. So that's another thing too, is I toned it back down and how I realized like, whoa, you really got to put it on the edge um, to, if you're going to compete competitively in any, you know, division, you have to have the car hung out there and so far on the edge to, you know, really get everything you can out of it and to run with some of these guys that are doing that. Because if you're not, then you're just not. You're not going to win. Um, so that was my clicking moment. It kind of clicked then. And like I said, every lap 
for the rest of that race and pretty much every lap after that, um, I drove differently and more, maybe not aggressively, but I kind of knew what it took and I knew not what the boundaries were. I'd been overpassing those and coming back, you know, a trillion times, but, uh, really kind of, yeah, what boundary you had to go over, but maintain it, like pretty much like trying to ride a wheelie, um, it, like trying to do it for 50 laps straight. Like I know how to do it for a second, but doing it for a long time, it, it, I don't know where that's going. That maybe not relatable, but um, I just kind of knew what it what it now took and what I had to do to be able to um, compete with these guys. So I don't know. That was just one of those moments where I feel like um, once you kind of get it, you kind of get it. And I've never driven a late model or anything. I'd be probably dog shit, but the divisions that I raced in, I was at least competitive. The, I had something really good I was going to say. Don't remember it. Oh, I got a good one. Talking about Mike and O. You know, talking about using up the whole track. You know, him and, um, this is a way throwback. I think this is 2012, 2013. I think it was 2012. Him and Brian Smith weren't getting along. They used to be not best friends. They were close friends. Mike and O helped them out. They worked out of the same shop, blah, blah, blah. Well, they kind of started button heads, and they were now against each other, not with each other. And I saw firsthand I was riding in third or fourth place, and they weren't in the lead. It was somebody else in the lead. Um, but it was shortly after a restart, and I was stuck on the outside, I think, to Jim Loving. And I saw Mike Gano come up the track. Brian Smith was on his outside. They were running second and third. I saw him come up the track, and I could have sworn, like, he literally just – pancaking him into the wall but he stopped and he literally gave brian smith probably an inch in between brian smith and himself and between brian smith and the wall brian smith ends up touching the wall and get you know getting scared and come back down and slamming mike and O. um and then they kind of like because of that contact they kind of duel it out and kind of gets a little messy I don't think they ended up finishing pretty well. I remember this was in victory lane when the race ended. I think maybe I finished third. I can't remember why I was so close. Maybe I wrecked out, but I walked over to victory lane and Brian Smith was yelling at Mike Gano, you were pinching me. You were fucking pinching me. Sorry for the F-bomb. These aren't my words. And Mike Gano was yelling at him, I wouldn't come pinching you. You, uh, kind of like, you couldn't handle it or whatever. And I'm sitting there watching, you know, my hero, Mike and O, and my arch nemesis, Brian Smith. But I was like, damn, I swear, I swear, I just saw Mike and O pinch him to pretty, pretty hard. Um, and he did. But at the same time, he did. Technically, they, there was enough room for Brian Smith on the outside. So, um, it was just one of those conundrums where you find yourself, you're like, wow, like, neither one of them really think that they're in the wrong, and really neither one of them are. I can tell you right now, if I was in Brian Smith's spot, I probably would have ended up touching the wall and turning back away from the wall and ended up in Brian uh, Mike and O's side door, too. But um, it was just one of those things you'll never forget, because I remember them not liking each other. This restart happening and being able to watch literally through my windshield from directly in front of them, I mean behind them directly behind them, 
and little E comes up the track and they're racing so hard and I see him like just come up the track, come up the track, pinching him, pinching him. Brian Smith touches the wall, comes back down into him, they hit, and now it's like, oh. And now it's like back up the track, back up and it's like, oh shit. You know what I mean? I'm behind him like, oh my God, here we go. And I'm at the same time I'm thinking like, dang, like I'm finally competitive running up front. Like this is how it rolls at the beginning uh, at the front of the pack, you know? It's just uh I don't know. I don't know what it was about that night. I think it was something about seeing that and seeing how intense it was, that battle, and how, like, both of them were kind of d- dirtying each other up a little bit, but then also seeing the confrontation in Victory Lane that was, uh, I don't know, just, because I just can never forget it. I literally remember it vividly. I remember um, there was, like, somebody that was helping Mike and O, like, that, like, seemed half drunk that was, like, uh, no, he didn't pinch you, he didn't pinch you, you know, like, talking, like, just screaming at Brian Smith, like, not uh, angrily or not, like, um, like he was going to do anything, but just, like, he, like, they can't even get their own words into each other because this guy's, like, screaming, he didn't pinch you, and I'm, like, sitting there, like, I was right behind him, he pinched him pretty hard, but technically he didn't, like I said, because there was room, but it was tight, boys. I mean, it was, it was, it was a pretty good pinch. Um, so I don't know. I don't even know how that story ended up going on so long. I just remember it so vividly, and I don't know if I'll, it's one of those stories I'll never forget it. I don't know how that happens, those stories. But yeah, you got to use the whole track, no matter what. And that's where this kind of all spawned from, I guess. This is the first time I followed Mike and O, he's literally a half inch away from the wall, you know, kicking up dust and stuff, and it's like, okay, I'm not on that level. I quickly was after that. I had to become that level. But uh, the same with him, you know, pinching just like I said at the beginning. I always pinch people up before the race. I literally give them as least amount of room as they will let me give them. You know, if you want to ride, if you're comfortable with two inches from the wall and us starting the race there, if you know, because I'll keep on trying to push you up. Um, if you're comfortable with that, then that's where we're going to start the race. But a lot of people aren't. And especially if I'm on the outside, I'm going to try to hold you down. And, you know, this, similar things happen in race trim, but it's not as calculated. It's kind of like a free-for-all and everything's happening. And now the guy's coming up the track, coming up the track, and you're into the wall and everything's happening so fast, you know. Um, I don't know. If you can also, here's maybe my final tip. I don't know how much else I have. If you're in a division like the ones that I've been in, street stock, I had power brakes. Mini stock e-car, you got power brakes. Grand stock, I did not, but good God, if I ever build another grand stock, I will build the cage around a brake booster, and I will have power brakes. Hell, if I ever build it, shit, something just powered off. Hope it wasn't the feed. Um, if I ever build a late model, I'll probably have a brake booster in that too. You know, I'm just, I'm so tired of not having, it's stupid. Why wouldn't you have power brakes? Why would you want to use your entire leg muscle? You know, it's like, it's not calculated. You're literally just jamming your leg down in there to try to stop the car. If you have power brakes, this is the point I'm getting to. You don't use your foot for brake. You use your toes. You know what I mean? Even at a short track, I don't care if you're at Martinsville, Southside Speedway, any of it. You don't use your foot. You literally delicately just use your toes. Or maybe even kind of hard, use your toes. But I, I literally hold my foot in the same position up against the pedal, and I curl my toes to apply brakes. Um, and that, 
I'm not going to say like save my racing career or anything crazy like that, but I've found that once you start to do that, you not only get much more consistent, but you can really fine tune the way you control the car through the, the corner, especially when you're sliding it around and stuff. Like if you're doing high arch entries and really sliding the car and, you know, already turning it right going into the corner, you're doing some crazy shit like that, like what we do in, you know, a lot of the classes. The way that as you're sliding the car into the corner on all four tires, technically, the way that you control the front brakes, if you put in too much brake, the whole car is going to snap around. So the way that you really finesse the front brakes, well, all brakes, but um, the fronts are really the ones that matter more when you're going to the corner. A lot more weight on them, left rear tire aren't even touching, you know, for example. Um, but the way that you finesse those really matters the most as far as how the car rotates to the corner. So... Um, keep your power brakes, brake with your toes, not your feet, do the restarts and stuff the way I, I don't want to go through the whole thing again, but I think that's about it. Um, hopefully everything worked, hopefully everything sounds good. Um, you guys tell me. We're coming up on the one year anniversary, so, um... I don't know. I'm excited about that, I guess. It's it's crazy to think it's already been a year. I mean, I, it's funny to think back at uh, a year ago. Like, I, I don't go back and watch the videos, but um, as we come up on the one year, I went back to the first video just to see what date it was. So I know that when the actual birthday of the podcast was. And um, just with not only watching that or viewing the picture of it, but also just thinking back to how it all started and how everything was set up at the beginning, you know, like as far as, uh, like the audio interface and everything was not plugged into the camera or, you know, what you're listening or watching through now was literally just plugged into a speaker and it would just blare into the camera. Um, <laughs> I don't know. That's just, just memories I have that are just like, wow, like, damn, I can't believe we were doing it like that. Like how stupid, but I didn't know. when I, A year ago when I started this, I didn't have a computer. I didn't have any knowledge of at all what I was doing. And I hadn't, looking back, dude, I had no idea what I was getting into. Uh, I didn't know how to upload to YouTube. I didn't have a YouTube channel. I didn't have, I thought it was just, I bought a podcasting kit on, like, Google and thought I'd just plug it into my phone or my iPad or whatever and just, let's rip. I've got a podcast now. I learned quick, though. That's not how it is. Not at all how it is. Um, but that's okay. We're growing. We're doing better. It's a lot better now than it was then. Good God. And like I said, I'm excited about the new setup because now I'm going to be able to uh, set up to another TV. We're going to be adding a third TV to the studio. It's really f starting to feel like a studio now, too, which is pretty cool. Um, and Chris Dodson said he liked the setup, so that's pretty much... That's all I need, you know. But um, but I really with the new setup and the new TV and all, it's gonna be sick, dude. I'm excited. You're good. Looks like it's working. Thanks, Gary. Ethan is the toe guy. Oh, is a toe guy. Yeah, I'm a toe guy. I don't have a toe fetish, but I will set your toe and I will drive with my toes. How about that, Chapman? Thanks for sending in some stuff. Thanks for sharing the video, Chapman and Alex. 
or the announcement. Oh yeah, this Saturday we've got our first dirt racer coming on, Corey Bradley. I'm sure you all know him. He's a legend in this uh, area. His dad too. I don't know if his dad's coming, but everybody knows his dad too. Um, but yeah, our first dirt racer. We've had a couple guys that have raced on dirt, but um, he's probably, I would say, raced more races on dirt than asphalt. So that's how I consider you a dirt racer. Or that's what, I'm making new rules. That's what makes you a dirt racer. More races on dirt than on asphalt. Go to the bottom right. Hit that like button, please, everybody that's watching. It means a lot. If you do like the show, send me a message. I don't know what I was thinking. I thought the show would be like, blown up overnight back when a year ago when I started too. I'm like, oh yeah. My episode three will be popping off. Yeah. That didn't happen. It can be discouraging, but it can also be encouraging too. We're already up to like thirteen hundred something follows on Facebook. I just need to grow that YouTube stuff a little bit bigger, so appreciate it if you like it. Share it. Try to get the word out. And since last week with Davey Callahan, I've gotten like four new subscribers on YouTube. So, I'm not being negative. I'm, I'm pumped. I'm not trying to complain at all. I'm, I'm serious. It's tough to get the YouTube subscribers. Um, so, yeah. Thanks, Davey Callahan. Like I said, four new ones since that episode. So, keep on spreading the word. Keep on doing your thing, folks. I'm working on some stickers, too. Once I get more stickers, I'll send them out. Yeah, he raced outside. Yeah. Um, he raced Tesla back in the day, mini stop. Can't remember his dad's name. Corey Bradley. Doesn't matter. Derailed me. Thanks, Gary Burke. Thanks, David Zabrera. Thanks, uh, Chapman. Thanks, Patrick Fisher. Shit, did Patrick Fisher call me? 887-0754. I don't even know how to work this phone. It's embarrassing. Hope you all liked tonight's stream, and uh, if you did appreciate the short track driving tips, or if you think you can use them at all, or if you end up using them at all um, later this season, and they work out for you, I would, Brian Bradley, thank you, Corey, I would love to uh, hear about it. And like I said, if you're a fan of the show, reach out and just let me know, because sometimes, like I said, the uh, numbers can be discouraging, but we're always on the way up, and look forward to this upcoming Saturday with Corey Bradley. Um, again, if you want to support the show, support links are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and everywhere else. And we have a Venmo, Turn Left Podcast, one word. Turn Left Podcast, one word. No, yeah, y'all know. Um, all right, everybody. I appreciate you tuning in tonight on Impromptu. See you Saturday night. Glad the new setup worked. Um, try to figure out how to get the TV to stop flashing like that. I don't know what that is. Um, yeah, see you all Saturday night with Corey Bradley. Thanks, everybody.